Well, good morning, everyone. It's a delight to be back with you today, especially on this lovely, sunshiny morning. I don't know if you'll have said hello to your neighbours yet, but if you would like to do that now, let's take a few minutes just to make sure everyone feels welcome here today. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent, and in the ecclesiastical calendar, if you can get that word out, (laughs) there seems to be a little confusion. It's called Passion Sunday, but next week's Passion Sunday as well, next week also being Palm Sunday. So I wasn't quite sure what the confusion was about, but anyway, Passion Sunday is about moving our thoughts towards Easter and the journey the Lord Jesus took to Calvary for each and every one of us. I'm going to open in prayer just now and then at the end invite you to say the Lord's Prayer with me. Let's pray. Lord God, we are conscious that today is a Sunday that heralds the start of our thoughts being turned towards the story of your passion. Lord, we pause for a moment just now and reflect on what that means to each one of us. As we have just sung, we scarce can take it in that you were ready to send your son to earth to live a sinless life and then die to pay the price of our sin. Thank you seems so little to say in response, but this morning we take time to say it. Thank you, God. We open our hearts before you and worship you. And this morning, in the privacy of these moments, we confess before you our sins. If right now, by chance, we are holding something against someone else, which we see as their sin against us, help us, Lord, to lay it down and step into the freedom which your death won on the cross. The freedom that comes with the knowledge of the forgiveness of our own sins, coupled with our forgiveness of others. And help us now, dear Lord, to truly enter into the fullness of release that comes with saying from our hearts the the prayer you taught your first disciples to say, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Psalms, and it is the very favourite, Psalm 23, The Lord Our Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me me rest in fields of green grass and leads me to quiet pools of fresh water. He gives me new strength. He guides me in the right paths as he had promised. Even I go through the, even if I go through the deepest darkness, I will not be afraid, Lord, for you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and staff protect me. You prepare a banquet for me 
where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as an honoured guest and fill my cup to the brim. I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life and your house will be my home as long as I live. And for our second reading, we turn to the book of Romans and reading from verse 28. We know that in all things God works for good with those who love him, those whom he called according to his purpose. Those whom God had already chosen, he also set apart to become like his son, so that the son would be the eldest brother in a large family. And so those whom God set apart, he called, and those he called, he put right with himself, and he shared his glory with them. In view of all of this, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Certainly not God, who did not even keep back his own son, but offered him for us all. He gave us his son. Will he not also freely give us all things? Who will accuse God's chosen people? God himself declares them not guilty. Who then will condemn them? Not Jesus Christ, who died, or rather, was raised to life and is at the right-hand side of God, <clears throat> pleading with us, pleading with him for us. Who then can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble do it, or hardship, or persecution, or hunger, or poverty, or danger, or death? As the scripture says, for your sake, we are, in, we are in danger of death at all times. We are treated like sheep that are going to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or other heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present, nor the future, neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Another Sunday, another apostle, a king, two more books of the Bible, and yes, you've probably clocked it, another sermon on love. Last week we looked at 1 John 4 and the passage about God being the source of love, Christ Jesus being our exemplar of love that the God sent, and how we manifest God's love to each other by loving each other with a Christ-like love. Today I'm going to juxtapose what is perhaps the best-known psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 23, along with a New Testament passage, which I think will be terribly familiar to everyone. What both David in Psalm 23 and Paul in the passage in Romans were talking about was another dimension of God's love. Not this time our ability to demonstrate God's love to each other, but this time the focus is on God's love 
and its stickability to us. It sticks to us even in the most seemingly impossible situations of life. It's there for us, just like the net was there for the poor old bear in the story I was telling the children this morning. In these two passages of scripture, what a wealth of experience we have from both King David and from the Apostle Paul. And it's from that written down experience imbued with the illumination of the Holy Spirit as we read it, that we are able to draw comfort and strength when our own experience is that God's love seems to be far from us. What I'm going to do this morning is take the Old Testament passage first and then flow into the New Testament passage. And you might want to keep your Bibles handy so you can follow me. I will also meander a while into the Gospels and touch on the Passion. Then round up with the wonderful Pauline words, we are more than conquerors because nothing but nothing can separate us from this love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's start with Psalm 23. Even although this psalm is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, for us Christians, it's got messianic implications. And as part of Holy Scripture, it's become what we might call iconic. The word iconic, as you will well know, in modern colloquial terms, refers to something that we treasure or revere, even perhaps worship. The word icon, though, originally refers to religious art in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And for them, their paintings called icons are like windows into heaven. And while we respect our brothers and sisters' faith, we don't actually have icons in our churches. But we can see something here in Psalm 23. It's like King David has painted a word picture that gives us, like an icon, a glimpse into heaven. I've got a lovely book of written prayers at home. They're very short. And here's one written by someone called Thomas Blake. It's called The Windowsill of Heaven. Every morning, lean your arms a while on the windowsill of heaven and gaze upon the Lord. Then, with that vision in your heart, turn strong to meet your day. That's what reading Psalm 23 does for us. It's like an icon. gives us a glimpse into heaven that feeds our spirit with the truth of what's happening to us spiritually, even when everything all around us says something completely different. For our purposes this morning, Psalm 23 falls nicely into three parts. First of all, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me. Beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his same name's sake. King David was, just as I've said, himself a king. But here he was acknowledging the Lord God, the shepherd of Israel, as his king and his leader. As Christians, however, we read this passage in the light of the New Testament And we're sensing the presence of the good shepherd, the one who cares for his sheep and whose sheep know his voice. 
the good shepherd is with us and he meets our physical needs and our lives flourish when they are nurtured in his green pastures. He is with us in emotional distress and if we let him, he'll bring us to safety and rest from our inner turmoil in the place of stillness with him. And finally, if we but ask him for wisdom, he willingly provides guidance to help us take the right choices and preserve our integrity, choices that lead us into these paths of righteousness. Verse 4 is perhaps poignant this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here King David is saying, My God, you are with me, even in the darkest times. God is the God of the impossible, and even in our extremities of human emotion, he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. It's not for nothing that this is the most read, reflected on, quoted and sung psalm at funerals today. Julian of Norwich, the medieval anchorite nun, who God blessed with revelations of his divine love, reflects this when she says, God comes down to the lowest part of our need. And finally, verses 5 and 6 say, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here as Christians, we read into this Old Testament passage the blessing of the one whose life is hid with Christ in God. A blessing available to each one of us who know and love God. I think last week I told you that I'd been studying Augustine. It's reputedly Augustine who said the words of the two, reflecting on the two testaments, the old and the new. He said, the new is within the old concealed, the old within the new revealed. And after reading this particular psalm, we say, wow, what an amazing description of the stick to us ability of the everlasting arms, God's arms of love. After reading Psalm 23, our thoughts take us nicely into our New Testament passage from Romans. And we hear Paul asking in Paul's inimitable and very rhetorical style, If then God is for us, who, and you can hear him just saying, just who can be against us? And further down he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Right now, the Lord Jesus is praying for each of us before the Father at the throne of grace. Have you taken that in? I've looked at this again and again when I was preparing this sermon and I can't quite get it. I can't get the measure. Let me say it again. Right now, the Lord Jesus is praying for each of us 
before the Father at the throne of grace. What a relief. We're not alone. Whatever we're going through, good or bad, he knows, because he knows us through and through, and he's always talking to our Heavenly Father on our behalf. It takes us back to another psalm, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. No, Paul says in verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, despite all that happens to us, we really know in our hearts the earlier verse, the first verse of the Romans passage, verse 28, which says, In all things, God works together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we need to be careful how we interpret the word good. It doesn't necessarily mean that the outcome that will happen will be what we think from our human perspective, perhaps self-interested perspective, is good. What Paul was meaning here by the word good, meaning that which conforms us into the likeness of Christ. And sometimes we need to draw breath and see that idea from God's perspective. I've often heard God's perspective being likened to a beautiful tapestry. But this side of heaven, we sometimes can only feel the knots and the untidiness of the broken ends on the reverse side. If we would truly follow as his disciples, there's always a cross to bear. And we're taken back to Calvary and the passion of the one who is our exemplar of love. And we weep inside as we think of the one who we're told in Luke's gospel in the garden of Gethsemane, said these words, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The Apostle John says in his gospel that looking to heaven, Jesus also prayed these words. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him all authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence 
with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so this morning, we are brought afresh to the passion story. And we remember what the Lord did for love of each one of us. And just like our opening hymn said, we scarce can take it in. But our view of the passion is not one of despair, but one of hope because of the resurrection. I'm now quoting the words of a very famous religious writer, Henry Nouwen. He said this, The relationship between Jesus and the Father is so intimate it's like breathing. God offers this same intimacy to you and to me, breathing love into us, and with this breath, inspiring us to breathe love into others. It's good for you that I'm going, Jesus said, because if I go, I can send you my spirit, my breath. Back to our Romans text. And then comes the wonderful assurance of Paul. Paul paints Christ as the lover of our souls when he asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes through a list. First he starts with the physical things. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Paul had experienced all these things in his life. You don't have to read too far in Acts to hear about the shipwrecks, the beatings, like the beating in the jail in Philippi. No, he says, none of these physical things, these disasters that the world can throw at our lives can ever separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. Then Paul goes on to death or life. No, he says, there's no problem there. Jesus' love is with the Christian throughout life and death for the Christian is only a transition into the nearer presence of the Lord Jesus. One commentary I read said, death is not the end, but a gate in the skyline leading to the presence of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Paul mentions angelic beings, whether their intent is good or bad. In first century Jewish thought, angelic beings were much more talked about. And Paul's saying here, none of them have any power to separate us from God's love in Christ. Then he talks about the present and the future. And by the present, he's meaning the age of grace that we're in just now. The time when some people call it the now but not yet of the kingdom. The time when we take communion like we did last week. Looking back, yes, on the Last Supper but also in the light of the resurrection, but looking forward in our thoughts to the messianic banquet, to the marriage supper in the Lamb, of the Lamb. And the age to come is the age that we're told about in Revelation when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. What Paul is saying here is neither of these time periods are going to separate us from the bond of love in Christ Jesus. Then Paul talks about powers, and there he's meaning malign influences. They can't separate us. He talks about height and depth. And in first century 
thought, height and depth were astrological terminology. So what Paul is actually talking about here is he's saying your horoscopes, what's happening in the stars, none of that can have any effect on the love of God that enfolds us. And lastly, Paul concludes by saying we're more than conquerors through Christ and there is nothing, just nothing, that can affect a separation of any of us from God's love in Christ. In closing, what can be said except that like Paul, as followers of Christ, we stand firmly and securely on the work of salvation wrought through Christ's passion. He is the one that brought us back into relationship with the Father, the one who sticks closer than a brother, the one who constantly intercedes for us before the throne of grace, and finally the one whose love sticks to us and is with us in every circumstance of life, and the one from whose love we simply cannot be parted. Amen. We turn now to intercessory prayer. The Bible tells us in Matthew's Gospel at chapter 17 that if we have faith, even as little as a tiny mustard seed, we could tell a mountain to move and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Father, grant us grace now to have such faith as we join together in prayer for others. Let's pray. We come now before you in the holy place to which through your Son we have access, dear Lord. Access which allows us to stand in the gap for others, as it is our privilege as your children to do. First of all, today we thank you for all the churches in our Baptist Union of Scotland. And looking at the prayer schedule for this week, the two churches named for prayer today are Rutherglen Baptist Church here in Glasgow and Rothsey Baptist Church on the island of Butte. We lift both these communities before you, Lord, and ask your blessing on them, particularly Rothsey, which is in vacancy at the moment. We also lift before you our church here in Hillhead, and thank you for the many blessings this church has experienced over the years, especially this year, even when things have not been easy. We ask your specific anointing and blessing, together with your healing power on Katrina, and ask for your strengthening touch to especially be with her as she returns to the task of ministry in the next few weeks. We are grateful for her and uphold her before you with love and care. We also ask for your healing power to come on all those of this community here in Hillhead and those associated with this church in any way who are sick or otherwise in need of your touch. Bless them, dear Lord, as we pray just now. We think of the older children here and our students, dear Lord, Easter time brings holidays, but also heralds the approach of exams and assessments. Help them to remember that they can do all things in Christ who strengthens them. Give them grace and peace to study well, and then confidence to fully and ably demonstrate what they know and can do when it comes time to the exams. Please bless the little ones too and the babies. 
May the second week of the holiday coming be a break from usual routine that is fun and refreshment for all of them. We ask for this city of ours. Help each of us to be appropriate and yet faithful as your witnesses as we go about our daily lives. Help us to give testimony to your love to those who are lost and perhaps to those who feel helpless. Lord, may we be alert to these meetings with people that seem to be little coincidences in our day, but are not coincidences at all because you've set them up. When asked, help us, dear Lord, to always be prepared to give an account of the hope that lies within us. And Lord, finally again, we would think of the world and its many crises and conflicts just now. We are so aware of these through our computer or television screens and our newspapers. We get lost for words as to what to say because they seem inadequate vehicles to reflect our sadness. Lord, we hold the nations of the world up to you just now and stand in the gap for them. Lord, have mercy. Finally, we specifically remember the Nigerian elections again and ask for your hand in that situation at this time of political change. May all the change be for the better. Lord, be with them. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.